The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show, everyone. Special shout-out to Yoshiko Dart, my close friend. Yoshiko, power on, lead on. We're moving. We're making it happen. And speaking of making it happen, oh, I'm so, so excited about our guest today. I love this man. I do, and he is awesome. You're going to love this show. He is not only co-chair of the Obama re-election campaign, he is a civil rights leader in the disability world. He is an unbelievable Paralympic athlete. He is a national spokesperson across the country, um, and he is on the board of the American Association of People with Disabilities. Welcome to the show, John Register. Hey, thank you, Joyce. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you, and... I thought we could start for people possibly that don't know you. And, and by the way, I want to also mention that John is a big advocate for veterans with disabilities. Uh, but, John, how about if you explain how you got first involved in the disability community and then what made you decide to give back, pay it forward, and become an advocate? All right. Well, well, thanks again for having me on your show, Joyce. I really, I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm, I'm so honored to be here. Uh, you know, as, as, it, as it goes with, with a lot of people that enter the disability world, it, it comes as, as we move through life. I was a world-class hurdler, a four-time All-American, while attending the University of Arkansas. I graduated in 1988 twice went to the Olympic trials, uh, and then I decided to enlist in the United States Army uh, and became a Gulf War veteran. But I was still training for the, uh, the, the games and finished up 17th in the Olympic trials in 1992. But while training for the 1996 Olympic Games, I had an accident. I went across a hurdle. I dislocated my left knee. I severed the artery behind the kneecap, and five days later, I wound up becoming an amputee. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes when that happens to a person, you know, you have to do a little bit of, of self-reflecting and, and coming back to a point to where uh, you, you're not on top of the world anymore. And I, I use that. Uh, your listeners can go out and look at If, the, the poem If by Richard Kipling, which talks about, you know, having everything in the world and yet you lose it all and have the intestinal fortitude to give it all, get it all back. And I think that's really where my, my life uh, I came to. So that's how I got into the disability community, by losing a limb of going over a, a a hurdle. Um, as far as it comes to giving back and, and giving back to others, I think it's just I'm, I, my, my makeup is a connector. I've always been a, a connector. I naturally try to connect people to opportunities or to other people or situations and help them out. Uh, but it's up to them to use those connections. Uh, some do, and, and, and you know, frankly, some some don't. Uh, but it's 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 really up to to us to to show forth um, who we are and, and use our life examples uh, to help others. Well, wow. Let me ask you this, John. Um, how hard was that for you to make that adjustment? 
Oh, you, you know, know when you walk up one day but, and there you are, an amputee after being the superstar athlete, how did you deal with that? Oh, I, I think, you know, part of it is because I, I, all my eggs were not in one basket. You know, I've, some some people have called me one of the, I don't know, and I have uh, the, the, the the new age renaissance man, right? So, I, you know, I played cello when I was in 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 high school, I sang in choirs, uh, you know, I did a little bit of, of theater, um, and I also played sports, and I also, you know, was going to church, and so I had a lot of community and civic in, in, involvement back then. In fact, my, uh, my, my, my uncle who passed away a few years ago, uh, Gloucester B. Current, was the last person to see Medgar Evers alive. Uh, he was the orchestrator of the, the, the platform speakers on the March on Washington, Gloucester B. Current. And so I, I had a lot of that in my background. My father, you know, he was also a Presbyterian minister, and he was, he was jailed for voter registration rights down in, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So, you know, all those things were going on, and, and I had a lot of background of knowing that people had other struggles and, and had come through those adverse times. Well, when it comes to the disability community, I really, really wanted each person uh, to understand that disability is, is, is not something that we really overcome, right? For example, I have a, I lost my leg, and, and a lot of people, a lot of doctors, a lot of people would, would say that my overcoming my loss of leg would mean that I would have to grow my leg back. And so society thinks that this is something tragic. However, I think it's, it's a portion of who I am. So someone who is congenital and, and is only knows that life experience from their vantage points uh, that was born with their disability, you know, that perspective just they don't view themselves as a person with a disability. And so I don't think society should put that on, that mantle on, on them or, or hold the person back because of disability. For me, getting over it, though, I was in my hospital bed, and I remember my wife, Alice, um, she really was um, a, a godsend at that time <clears throat> because uh, I was kind of thinking about all the things that were different now. I was not going to the Olympic trials. I didn't know if I was going to be a soldier in the United States Army anymore. I was on my, I was on my way to, the, um, I was on my way to uh, officer candidate school, and, um, and that was not going to happen. So I wound up um, kind of going down this wrong road and this wrong path, pendulum swinging the wrong direction, and I was, I was sitting there overnight. And my, my wife came over, and, and she consoled, consoled me. She said, you know what, John, we are going to get through this thing together. And when she said that, it kind of stopped my pendulum swing, and it began going back in the other direction. And so I think it's our faith, it's our family, it's our friendships that help us to overcome those, those adversities that are in our life. Wow. I told you it's so awesome, but you know I agree with them 100%. As John knows, I'm living with epilepsy, and I too had that accident that resulted in me having brain surgery and finding out that I had epilepsy. But, you know, just as John said, that is part of who I am, but I am not ashamed that I have epilepsy, live with epilepsy, nor should you be, no matter what the disability is. Uh, but we do have a question that was emailed here to us, John, for you sure. from a Sandy in Tennessee. All right, and the, Sandy in Tennessee. The, yeah, the question is, uh, John, I think it's wonderful what you've accomplished, but I still would like you, if you don't mind, giving me some advice for a young man that has gone through something similar to you but can't seem to deal with it. Well, you know, I think you know it's 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 tough, and people will always have um, people always have those tough situations that are going to come inside their lives, and it's up to us, the people that are around them, to really help them overcome 
those those challenges because pe- people will will um, that have a, a disability or acquire something you know there, there's a change that's going on in their life there's a process that's happening and and we have to be the ones to to really help walk them through that to to let them know that there is nothing that's really different it's like the um it's like the mother or father that will treat their child differently because they have this disability no you just treat them just the same way you let them grow up you let them run play do jump do everything that the, that the, everybody else is doing so they don't feel abnormal because they're not abnormal and and it's us to help, us to help them through those situations and i hope that answered your question okay yes and you know that I agree, and also that example you gave about your wife. You know, sometimes when someone just reaches out, whether it's a friend or family, and just says, hey, we're in this together, look at the impact that had on you. Yeah, exactly, and I think, you know, um, you know, for example, my wife and I saw about those 95% of things that I could no longer do, um, and then she helped me turn that and flip that model over into the 95% of things I still could do. And the 5% I could no longer do, you know, I'm, I'm very honest about that. The 5% of things I can no longer do with one leg. I can't wash the dishes. I can't vacuum the rug. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know? so uh, that's have... pretty clever, I have to tell you. Yes, he you can't too. do any of those <laughs> things, huh? You can't do any of those things, but you can, of course, be a Paralympic athlete um, and do anything else you want to do except helping with chores. Exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) You are just too much. Well, John, you are a big advocate for veterans with disabilities. As you talked about the war earlier, you were in the Gulf War. And my question is, what happens to many of the veterans with disabilities? What happens to them when they when they get returned? You know, uh, then and now are, are two different things. I think when it when it comes to to veterans with uh, disabilities, you know, then um, when I was going through and injured, <clears throat> I was in, in put into a medical holding company. Much different now. They're warrior transition units. The warrior transition units really move service members through a, a, a systematic. Um, system of care so that when they come in there's a there's a great network of support that's around them and then when they either go back to their military service to their units or intern their service and go on to uh, get out um, and, and find a job employment and those type of things um, they are with them the, the whole time and in fact there is an army um, just one example is an army uh, wounded warrior program the AW2 program which actually tracks them through their uh, retirement so that they can find them uh, into and, and, and make sure that they come into the VA system, the Veterans Administration system as well. So that's what happens to a veteran with a disability. Now let me ask you this. Why is there such an incredibly high un- uh, unemployment? What is your opinion of that? Well, I think, I think that, you know, one one thing about war is you, you don't think about, or I don't think in this one, you, we didn't think about the um, the after effects. So you have um, National Guardsmen uh, that have signed up for the military. They get injured, they come back, and they don't have a they don't have a job. And I think what's happening now, the landscape is changing because there are so many con- uh, so many companies out there now that are really beginning to focus on on veterans and the skill sets and cross cross applying those skill sets. Uh, there, there are a lot that have touched the the, um, the military side of supplying weaponry that are now hiring veterans to come 
into their their, their local uh, establishments, local businesses, and, and train them up because they do have a, a specific skill set. I think the other thing that that veterans bring is a stick to itiveness. You know, you have to succeed in the mission, and that's that's just a part of it. And so, uh, veterans generally will always try to to be successful within whatever environment that they uh, find themselves in. So uh, I, I think that's where we are, where we're going right now. And so uh, I, I think also a lot are are coming because we have this this war. A lot more being identified that were not in the theater when they were were hurt. So now um, you know our Vietnam population or uh, those even in the, in the Gulf War era are now um, being looked at across the board. So we look at homelessness and we look at um, joblessness. We're now tracking those those veterans and trying to find out ways to to fix that that situation. That's what a lot of people have talked to me about. The large number of veterans with disabilities that are homeless, and what can we do to help them? Which leads to a question for you from Ted in Maine, and the question is: uh, First of all, thank you, John, for what you did for our country. I really admire you. Uh, my question is, do you think a veteran with a disability can go immediately into the workforce if they've been through a very traumatic experience, or do you think it takes time to readjust? I think, I think the answer is yes on both, on both points. Uh, it really depends upon the, the veteran and, and where they're at in the, in the recovery process. You, you take for myself, for example, within six months I was back up and employed again. For somebody else, you know, uh, that was in my same unit that was going to that medical holding company, the older model, that person was actually, um, had a person that was actually chaptered out because they couldn't deal with the injury that they had sustained. Um, so it, I think it's dependent upon the individual first. But I, I, I go back once again, Ted, to, to the individuals uh, that are around the, that, that person. What kind of care system do they have? And will that care system not allow them to fail? And I think that's the, 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 the greater question uh, that we have to answer. Because, and, and I think what, what's going on now is when you look at the Vietnam War and the way those veterans were treated when they came back, or you look at the, the African-Americans who were, who were treated with disdain when they came back from World War II, even some lynched in their uniforms, you know, that was oh. a, a, neg- a negative America that was, was with inside of that. Now you have an America that is really supporting, even whether they disagree or, or agree with the war in Iraq or war in Afghanistan, they support the troops that laid on the line to protect our freedoms. And that's a huge, huge chain, a change uh, with inside of uh, that, that makeup. So it's how that in- individual gets injured and what support group are around that individual when they, when they move forward uh, back and in, in entering to life. And those jobs have to be there for, those, for that individual. Yes, and I'll tell you, you can see from hearing John's passion that right now, as the chair of AAPD and John is on our board, I'm here to tell you we are in the midst of a civil rights issue because of the high, high unemployment of Americans with disabilities. But as I hear John speak, some of these stories are riveting, such as that your father uh, was the last person, one of the last people to see Medgar Evans alive. Yeah, my uncle, was, yeah. Your uncle, before yeah. he was assassinated. I mean, that is, and, and then hearing about the servicemen, um, I say to myself, wow, aren't we so blessed to have President Obama? 
I mean, they would never believe it. No, <laughs> they would never believe that an African American would become the president of the United States, and that to me is so great when you think about all this. It, it really is. Uh, but as I said. That's what we're in the midst of right now. We are in the midst of this civil rights issue. But before we get to that, um, a wonderful thing that you now have become involved with, John, is the Paralympics. Um, and I thought maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about your work with the Paralympics. Oh, sure. Uh, the Paralympic Games are games for athletes with physical disabilities or visual impairments, and that's where I've, I kind of have honed my skill set in. It, it's, it's very different than the... Um, we call um, uh, Special Olympics, where that's for cognitive or intellectual disabilities. Uh, it's, it's physical disabilities. And, and so uh, I want to kind of just, if I can, just, just kind of outline a little bit of the differences because it, it, the, the waters get very muddied when, when you start mixing physical disabilities and intellectual disabilities together. Um, Special Olympics is a phenomenal, phenomenal organization, uh, and, but, but their games are more participatory in nature. And in accordance to their website, uh, those athletes that compete uh, have an IQ of about 70% or below. So we're, we're talking about Down syndrome and, and those type of things. And, I'd, and I've done a lot of uh, speaking for Special Olympics as well. Uh, Special Olympics is more participatory than merit earned. So, what I mean by that is, in the we, they have 32 Olympic-style summer and winter sports, and are in about 170 different countries. Um, and most of your Special Olympic athletes are going to be found in a school under some type of individualized education program, as we know as IEPs. Paralympics, on the other hand, are the highest level of merit-based system for athletes with disabilities. Paralympics uh, name is really derived from the word parallel, parallel to the Olympic Games. Paralympics is um, uh, medals-based, um, placement in competition, meaning that the athletes are going to you know, win gold, silver, and bronze uh, if they are, are the best at what they do. And so I, I say all that to kind of set up and, that's to, and to compare apples and apples. So what I'm speaking about when I say disability, if I use that, my expertise is within inside of that range of, of, of Paralympics. Um, so in 2005, the Olympic Committee uh, has began a, a linking a network of partners to increase the reach for Paralympic sport. And so to compare kind of apples and apples, Paralympics has kind of two, two prongs to it. The Paralympic Games, which are the parallel games to the Olympics on the, on the merit-based system, and then the Paralympics in, in general, like Paralympic sport clubs. And these are clubs all across the country, 160 of them, I think, right now in the United States that offer all types of sport, Paralympic and non-Paralympic sports, to individuals with, with uh, physical disabilities and, and visual impairments. And they can be seamless. They can be um, congruent with, with other um, able-bodied individuals. So they just don't have to go out and try and find a Paralympic coach. You can find a regular able-bodied coach that, that can just coach a, the, the Paralympic-type athlete. Not that these athletes are going to try and make a Paralympic team, but that they're just getting involved and active into their local communities. Um, your audience members can also look, look on the web um, at teamusa.org. Uh, there's a beautiful website there, and that's the Olympic and Paralympic uh, team is there. Uh, the Olympic and Paralympic team are both in, in this country are, 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 are together underneath one governance structure, uh, we're, we're one of four countries in the world that actually operate like that, where all the other countries actually operate separate. Their Olympic team and their Paralympic team are totally separate entities within inside of their governance system. Um, so you can find, they can find their local website, uh, the local resource on their cell phones as well um, at uh, usparalympics.org and teamusa.org. And, and then on that, on that website, if you click on your, on your mobile phone, 
you can actually find a club or sport club that's in your vicinity. And if there's not a club in your vicinity, then you need to reach out to me and I can, I can direct you to somebody uh, that, that might be close. Because everybody I've been on this call knows somebody with a physical disability or visual impairment that is sitting at home and not, not doing too much. And we need to get those folks out, and we've got to get them active. We've got to get them moving. Just like Michelle Obama said, we've got to let's move, get, get on that campaign, and get America moving again. Right, and I agree with you. I mean, I think that part is so important. Um, and, and if a young athlete is listening to you speak right now with a disability, how do they become involved in the Paralympics? What do they do to get involved? So uh, my advice is everything is local. You want to find whatever the sport, whatever the discipline is that you're engaged with, find the local club that will uh, support uh, support the, that individual. Uh, for example, in my community in Colorado Springs, I saw a young man with a CP. He's walking down the hallway in a school, and I noticed he's walking kind of funny, right? So I was like, he's got CP. So I went up to him, gave him my business card, and said, "We need to get you. Um, we need to get you running." And um, he was already playing on his high school football team. We got him out on the track team. I took him with me to a, a track event that was in Oklahoma City. Well, uh, Central University of Central, Central Oklahoma and Edmond, Oklahoma, which is called the Endeavor Games, and uh, and, and got them engaged in, in moving. Same thing with our military population. A lot of the injuries that are coming out of theater and 70% that don't come out of theater are um, are either amputations, blindness, paralysis, uh, and, 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 the, and the most uh, common is traumatic brain injury. All, all three or four of those are uh, Paralympic-type style sports, so we have expertise within those areas whether or not they just want to do recreational or go on to the Paralympic Games. So get involved locally. If you're having trouble finding a local club, if you're having trouble finding the high school, we have definitely have some advocates that can help in that space. And uh, I think, George, can I, I can probably leave my, my contact number on your, on your website. Go right ahead. Okay. So that's uh, john.register at usoc.org, john.register at usoc.org. That will come straight to me, and we can uh, – link you up with one of our three regional um, managers to help um, to help disseminate that information. Yes, I think that is great information. Um, and I, I would encourage you, you know, you have to take that step. You have to take that step uh, where you believe in yourself and you give yourself a shot at doing this. You really do. Uh, because that one step could change your life and give you something you've never had before uh, in how you feel about yourself. Right. Uh, but we're going to be going to break in a little bit. But before then, we have a Linda from Kansas, and her question for you in reference to the Paralympics is, John, can you tell me, will this ever, in your opinion, be seen similar to the Olympics? Well, it depends on where you're listening to, Linda. And I, I think uh, if you if you look at from a lot of the other different countries, a lot of the other countries' governments put it on television. And uh, so it's like a PBS. They have a PBS station that the government floats the money to it, and then uh, and it comes on, and they buy the rights. We have a, a very different model that we're exploring. And if uh, and we, we kind of tested it out at the Warrior Games um, that was last uh, a couple weeks ago where we had – 200 injured service members into the Olympic Training Center. And because of uh, the way our television works in this country, it, talks, it, it costs a lot of money, you know, to put, to put something on television and you've got to sell it. Um, so it, it's, it's, not, it's not feasible for us to, to do so with the, 
just to have uh, moms and dads and coaches watching. We've got to get, we've got to get everybody watching. So what we've done is, is we've, we've put together these, these kind of 90-second uh, to uh, two-minute clips as well as uh, into high-market, high-traffic areas. And in the, in the Warrior Games, what we did was we did a satellite media tour. So that satellite media tour hit all the way across the United States. And instead of when one of our sponsors the year prior to spent $100,000 putting us on for a 30-minute 30, 30 special uh, for the last uh, the China Olympic Games um, and only got 100,000 people to watch, so that's one, one watch per dollar, right? Um, now that one those satellite media tour hits that went all across the country actually reached almost 41 million people. Wow. So now that the awareness out there, really a great model for success. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's, it's tremendous, and we're going to keep with that model for how we're going to deliver, I, I believe, the games. I think that's we're going to, we're, it's going to be changing. It's, the game is changing on how, because everybody, they don't look at television anymore, right? Most people, when they're out, they look at their smartphone for the news, they catch up on Twitter, they, they do you know, the social networks and everything is, is, is changing. So we have to also be smart and change that market on how we're delivering those, that product in the United States. The Paralympic Games, though, I do want to say, is very valuable. Um, it, it's a valuable commodity, and I think more and more people are beginning to understand it. More and more sponsors are turning on to it. You know, folks like uh, BP or, or folks like, um, um, uh, oh, who, who are some of the other ones, sponsors? The Hartford, the, the founding sponsor of Paralympics, and, and mm-hmm. so they're placing a huge value property on it because they recognize that this market is a is a buyer's market, and 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 these and, and persons with disabilities, you know what, they have cash, <laughs> and that cash can be spent in, on in their on their products and services, and so there's the you know there's that there, there's that end of it, but also the Paralympic Games itself, as you find people, the the, the games actually. You, you can see it. I've been to three games now, and you can see the, the stands grow day by day because more and more people understand that these games are tangible. There's so much benefits of sport, and I think that we lose out with our, our youth population. Um, and I know I'm getting off tangent with this question, but uh, the, the youth population is so critical because a lot of our youth do not get the able-bodied experience of playing kick the can or, or playing capture the flag or getting out there playing kickball or with, with their classmates. They, they, have, they can't go on the PE court. They're, they're always you know, going to, to a lab or something else because the PE teachers don't know what to do with our population. But really what we're missing in that, in that critical piece in the benefits of sport is it's the improvement of self-esteem and, and performance in, in daily activities. It's the increasing of longevity and lean body mass. It's, it's re, it reduces body fat and, and, and risk of met, met, metabolic diseases. It enhances rehabilitation, identifies individuals by their abilities and not their abilities. You know, it, it helps individuals discover hope and the healing through sport, and it, it also opens up uh, to compete in their, on their home courts and, and, on, and on an international stage. So all these things that the able-bodied side has now, the, the uh, the Paralymp- through the Paralympics, individuals with physical disabilities and visual impairments now have. And, and, and by the way, the, the byproduct of that is somebody like an Anjali Forbeprat, who has now gone through this whole system, and she just finished up her Ph.D. We have people that are highly educated, highly employed, because they're getting these opportunities through scholarships at various universities and colleges across our country. Oh, that is just awesome. Yeah, there isn't anything like getting that feeling of dignity and self-respect. That is awesome. Now, we're going to get ready to go to break. What a great guy we have on the show today, Mr. John Register. 
who is a great leader in the disability community, advocate for veterans with disabilities, Paralympic athlete, co-chair of the Obama re-election campaign, and someone I really like. You're listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with John Register. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Hoffman Connection for inspiration, a life of passion and purpose. Hosts Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon will bring you ways to remove the blocks in your life that are holding you back. Along with their guest experts, Raz and Ed will use their experience and expertise to help you learn to get closer to what matters to you most. And by doing so, improve your life and the lives of others. The Hoffman Connection can be heard live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show. If you just joined us, we're talking to John Register who is on the board of AAPD, Paralympic athlete, advocate for people with disabilities, co-chair of the Obama re-election campaign. We are so excited to have him as our guest today. Um, John, I also know that you're very involved with the military Paralympic program. Would you tell our listeners about the work you do with that uh, yeah, the, the, the Paralympic Military Program is a very robust program that services our uh, primarily injured veterans. And um, uh, so, kind of give me a little bit of history. The Paralympic movement really was founded and in World War II, right after World War II. Sir Ludwig Gutmann out of, um, out of Great Britain um, began using sports as a mechanism and a tool for rehabilitation. Uh, and those, and he used the sport of wheelchair basketball to do that. His mantra was that you're going to get back into a healthy and active lifestyle. 
And so taking upon that and, the, and, the, and some of the things that I had come through myself as an injured veteran in those old medical holding companies, I didn't want anybody to have that medical hold experience again where I was kind of left by myself and, and up to my own, um, you know, own, own devices to, to get my own healing. And so in 2003, I, I took a job with the United States Olympic Committee, and after a few months after starting this job, my, my boss, uh, Charlie Hubner, as well as a gentleman by the name of Joe Walsh, we sat down in the room began discussing what we might be able to do for injured veterans. And so I've been doing a lot of peer mentoring at uh, Walter Reed and the VA Hospital in, in Washington, D.C. And, and, and during that time, uh, you know, I, I ran across another one of my uh, great, what I call sheroes, um, and that's Carrie Miller, who's a, a one above, one below knee amputee, uh, who was a sergeant in the United States Army and was hit by a drunk driver. Uh, and she's, you know, doing phenomenal. She's a Paralympic athlete now, you know, finishing up her her degree in school and just doing, you know, incredible things. Um, so I say that because I had some, when I was working with the Army's morale, wealth, and recreation uh, team in, in Washington, D.C. at the headquarters, I've, I've been to about 60 different installations, and I had connections at Walter Reed with uh, Miss Harriet Irving, who was the chief of uh, uh, community activities, and she allowed the United States Olympic Committee and us to come in to the Karen Wagner Sports Center for a wheelchair basketball event. Uh, and that basketball event with, with Charlie uh, Hubner, what he did was he brought in, in athletes from the Georgetown basketball team. So we had Georgetown basketball team coaches and, and athletes uh, playing wheelchair basketball with uh, the injured veterans. And that's kind of, you know, 50 years removed from Sir Ludwig Gutmann was doing the same thing, right? So it's kind of paying it, paying it forward again uh, and, and recycling something that was just a, a brilliant idea. And how, how great to give back in, into our legacy, uh, into our heritage by honoring uh, Gutmann's work back in, in, in Great Britain. And this was really the start and the basics of the, uh, the military sport program. And it's touched so many people right now. And the goal is not to get a Paralympic athlete. The goal is to really get people back to a healthy and active lifestyle through the use of, of sport, or, or and sport is a part of the rehabilitation process. It doesn't replace the rehabilitation process. Uh, it's just wounded care all the way through. Sports is only one component of it. And I think what happens, you know, for some of the other things I stated earlier with the, with the young adults, is that it really does give this, the service member, a, 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 if this is possible, it's, a, it's the old Dis Disabled Sports USA mantra, if this is possible, if I can do this, I can do anything. And, and that really is, is, is the base of where we are. Paralympics will take care of itself because that's a different mindset. If you were a world-class athlete, you know, such as myself before that, then you're naturally going to try and, and, and find out a way to get back to that. But if you were not, you know, now's not, not the best time to, to try and do that or try and find something different. Or maybe there's something you want, to, you want to jump into. We just want to be able to provide that opportunity, like a, a Heath Calhoun said, um, that was is a bilateral amputee that was injured in the Iraq War. His first thought was not to, to go back to theater. His first thought was, can I run with my son again? You know, those are the things that we, we want to put back together. When I was out in another bilateral amputee from the war, one of our first military sport camps was um, was another young young man, uh, Chang Wong. And Chang Wong, you know, gets off the plane. He's in, a, he's in a wheelchair. He's got his artificial legs, walking legs underneath the chair. He's got his artificial running legs behind the chair. And he comes to, he comes into the uh, the dining facility the first night, and he sees two other bilateral amputees up walking, getting their own plates. So guess who had his legs on, you know, within five minutes to go up and get his own plate because no one's going to serve him, right? He's not going to be the one that, that everybody else has to serve. So this is, um, this is um, 
something that's 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 just phenomenal. So the next day, he's up on his artificial running legs and he's running up and down the track doing the drills with uh, Coach Joaquin Cruz, who's, who's the the second or third fastest 800 meter runner ever in the world and won the gold medal in the 1984 Olympic Games as one of our Paralympic coaches. And, and at the end of the week, he's winning the awards. But he didn't want to go to the Paralympic Games. What he wanted to do was he wanted to uh, uh, go back to school. And that's what he did. He got back to school, got his education, and just moved forward. So the Paralympic military program is now all over the place. It's, it's way beyond my skill sets, right? <laughs> um, we are, we're in 33 different uh, locations on the warrior transition units on the U.S. Army. Uh, we are at, at all the military facilities on the, for the Marine Corps, um, as well as uh, we're working with uh, Palace Heart for the, the Air Force and Navy Safe Harbor programs, Special Operations Command, um, everybody that, that, that touches that. And most people think that there is a... Um, uh, that there are most people get injured in, in theater, and and that's that's partly true. There are there are a lot that get injured in theater, but there, you know, war is a nasty business, and there's always preparation for war, and there's recovery from war, and so there are always injuries that happen during that time too, and that accounts for about 65 to 70 percent, I think, the last statistics I I saw, uh, of, of of all those injuries that have that have happened. So. Even when the war ends, there's still going to be this need for using uh, sport as, as a mechanism and tool to help people get back into a healthy and active lifestyle. John, could you explain that a little bit more? What do you mean by injuries preparing for the war and injuries recovering from the war? So, so injuries preparing for war. So people, uh, the service members will go out and units will go out and they will, they will uh, test what they're going to do on the battlefield. And in that time, injuries happen, uh, back injuries, you know, all, all types of injuries. The same injuries that you would see coming off the theater with outside of, a, a, you know, a blast, um, you're going to see those, those type of injuries before people deploy. And commanders get uh, these, these blocks. They get a green block for getting ready to go. They can, their, their unit's ready. They get a yellow block for it's kind of the, the cautionary, and they get a red block for non-deployable. And so you want to have all your, your, your soldiers or your, your Marines ready in the, in, the, in the green block to go fight. But inevitably, in, in those training exercises, someone's going to get hurt, so, and it might cut down into your strength of, of, of being ready to go into, into battle. And those folks will find themselves in these warrior transition units, either getting healed to go back into theater or getting healed uh, to intern their service and, and get out of the military. Never thought of that. That, that you know what I never thought of that before. Yeah, most folks um, don't. <laughs> very interesting, though. Yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. Right, and the um, I just the never. Right. I'm really yeah. glad you brought that up because um, I, I just would have never thought of it. So, Sandy in Alabama, here is her question for you, John. I can't understand, Mr. Register, why would any serviceman or woman? want to go back to Iraq or Afghanistan after experiencing such trauma? Why is that? Oh, Sandy, that's a brilliant, brilliant question. It's because it's the heart of the fighting 
American service member. They are a, a band of brothers and sisters. And when you are in the fight, no one fights for politics. No one fights for government. You fight for your, your brother or sister to make it home. And when you feel that, when you've left that, and you feel that you have let that unit down because you were the one that got hurt, you can't wait to get back into the fight to, to be with uh, your brothers and sisters that are over there. I think it was uh, now Major uh, Dave Roselle was one of the first ones who was injured in Iraq. He, his Humvee was blown up on a, on a recon, reconnaissance mission. Uh, he lost his, his leg uh, below the knee, becoming a Symes amputee. And uh, he's a cavalry officer. And as soon as he was ready to go, he used sport as a tool for getting back, uh, getting fit, did some triathlons. And when he was fit, he, went, he got right back in that, that cav position and, and, and commanded another troop. He's the first cav officer to do that, take the troop right back in the battle, um, after losing his limb, it is it is something that you know a lot of folks you know like you're saying, Sandy, that just don't understand why you would want to go back. But it's a sense of 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 not leaving uh, your your comrades, and and it's the same way when we are paying it forward and those that get out, we still don't want to leave our, our comrades on the battlefield, the battlefield of of recovery, the battlefield of of getting back to those healthy and active lifestyles, the battlefield of going back to to schools and, and employment to, to feel that you are have do have self-worth and self-value. So we're never going to leave a fallen comrade behind, and that is a soldier's creed. Right. And, folks, that's why you've heard me say it before, but when a serviceman or woman come back from Iraq or Afghanistan with an injury, a disability, and we do not find employment for that person, someone who is putting their life on the line for you and doesn't even know you, that is shameful. Shameful. That's why I want everyone out there to get it together when it comes to employment. But right now we're going to break before we close the show with John Register, our guest today. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Joyce Bender. America's Voice, where disability matters, at voiceamerica.com. We'll be back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show. We're talking to John Register today. Um, John, I have to ask you this question. How did it feel to be named co-chair of the Obama re-election committee? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was uh, kind of special, actually. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. My, my original, uh, I, I guess just my, here was my process in about eight words, right? I was extremely honored. Um, and then I started asking, you know, well, why me? And then I began asking, well, why not me? And the last mm-hmm. one, I was like, I was very honored. <laughs> so it kind mm-hmm. of came back full circle. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my, the, you know, it was, it was kind of funny because I got this call um, from the committee, and, it, it was, and um, I really wasn't expecting it. I don't know how they got my telephone number or anything. And all of a sudden, uh, I just said, do you, do you support the president? I said, uh, yes. I was like, okay, we'll call you back. Phone <laughs> so, call number one. And so yeah, so it went on from there. We had some some great uh, some great dialogues and um, you know just just philosophical things and you know and it, with everything I think there's there's um, there's give and give and take with 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 everything and um, I I just uh, respect them especially when it comes to to vet the veteran population um, you know when I you know they have this whole big thing about you know releasing these tax forms here and there and. and uh, but when I looked at the taxes, you know, I'm of the of the president, the first lady, you know, they've been giving to veterans for quite some time, right? Out of their own personal resources. So you 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 spend where where you you think is 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 um um you, you spend your your money what to what's most important to you, and uh, and so that really spoke very highly um, for for me to the, for the president. I think the second thing was. You know, making a call like going after and, and 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 getting Osama bin Laden meant that there was sustainability through the administrations, right? So from the first one to the to to to, the, um, to President Obama's administration, and, and when you're in a room like that and you see all those people in that one picture, at the end of the day, you can get all the information and advice you want from your commanders, from um, you know the advisors. At the end of the day, it's, it's you who has to make the decision. It's you who are going to put American lives in harm's way if it doesn't go right, um, and you're holding the bag. Uh, so you have to be, you know, critically sure um, that this operation is going to be a success. And I, you know, I think I read that he said he wasn't even. Um, everybody else was cheering when they 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 knew that they had had their man, um, but he he was still sober until. Those American troops left and got out of there and were safely back to their point of uh, of of, um, of return, and and that's 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 the human side, right? Um, that's 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 a person who's in touch with um, with people's lives that he knows that are, that are in the balance, and that's that's got to weigh heavily not just on this president but any president in that position. Michelle Obama, I think, said it best the other day. I was with her at a at a rally in Colorado Springs, he said, nothing easy comes across the president's desk. You know, we, we kind of flip it off with these talking heads here and there on these, you know, you got a left television show, you got a right television show, you got a left radio show, you got a right television radio show. But in the middle, you know, 
at the end of the day, it comes down to those hard decisions that have to be made. Uh, and what are your value systems behind that? You know, your your what are what are they? And I I, I tend to agree with him on on pretty much everything that he uh, he's put out there. Boy, isn't that a true statement? Nothing easy ever comes across the president's desk. When you are the commander in chief, this is a I can't even envision. You know, we think we have pressure just running a business. Imagine running <laughs> the world. I mean, that is just such a responsibility. It really is. And sometimes we forget about that, just as we said. But, John, congratulations, because it is always an honor to represent in any way, shape, or form the President of the United States. Yes. So congratulations well, to you. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm very honored and honored to serve uh, the President and honored to serve the people of this country. No, well, you have. And we thank you also for your service to this country. People forget to say thank you. But I want to thank you also for your service to this country by being in the Gulf War. So thank you for that also. Well, I'm honored to serve. And if there are any Vietnam veterans that are out there listening, you know, I know that uh, you were not treated with dignity and respect when you came back home. So I say for all of us who have worn the uniform, welcome home. You are welcomed home. Yes. Oh, that is so true. I lived through that. Um, and I, that was terrible. So I, that, that's wonderful for you to say that. That's great. So, John, you have to have had a role model in your life because you just have such character and you're, you know, just such a wonderful person that I respect very much. So tell me, who, who do you attribute to this? Who, who was your role model? Uh, I, I think, you know, when I, growing up, it's definitely my mother and my father. Uh, they were tremendous impacts on, on my life. And, uh, you know, whether I, I went straight to the left or to the right, you know, they always taught me the value of, of hard work. They always taught me uh, the value of respecting other people uh, and, you know, treating others as you would want to be treated, kind of the golden rule. Um, you know, I, I remember having a my dad supported me when I had a little lemonade stand on the on the front stoop selling Dixie cups for five cents for people that came off the, the L train in uh, Oak Park, Illinois. And I remember uh, him coming to, you know, football practices and baseball practices, you know, taking off time from his job. And I hope I can, you know, uh, mirror that. And then later on finding out, reading through some newspaper articles of, of the work that he did uh, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and and uh, jail down there for getting African Americans the, the right to vote and uh, was was uh, was amazing. Um, and then to, to see it paid forward with the the person, the judge that actually wrongfully jailed those nine uh, individuals or uh, nine white clergy and one one black clergy. Um, later on, he went to a conference, Presbyterian conference, and found out that the new judge that was over that bench was an African American female. <laughs> so, she wanted to uh, she wanted to expunge it and change it over. He said, "No, don't take my record away. That's my that shows I was here. I was in the fight." And I think you know those those folks were the ones that had the courage. They were they were the ones on the on the battlefield. Um, you know, myself, I can talk, but <laughs> that's that's about it. I mean, they they had the real courage to lay it all on the line, and that's who, that's who I've looked up to. You know, John, I heard uh, a friend of mine with a disability years ago say something when she spoke, um, I think it was at the NAACP, and, and she said 
And she said, both are terrible, but here's the difference. In the African-American community, you deal with and have dealt with people that hate you. In our world, we deal with people who pity you. Mm-hmm. And boy, that is so true. Although, don't get me wrong, there are people that don't like us either. But, you know, this pity thing, this uh, you're not worth it, you can't do it, is something we fight and we will continue to fight because I always tell people, no pity. We don't want pity. We want paychecks. That's, that's, that's Shapiro's book, right? <laughs> yep. No um, so listen there, uh, John. I know we only have a few minutes left, but tell me, if you had to mention one thing that you considered your greatest accomplishment, what would it be? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I think there's, there are way too many for me to name. I would say that... Uh, you know, there was a there was a moment in my in my life, like I said earlier, the early part of the show, when I was struggling, um, and I think it comes back to family. And my my wife was a, a godsend at that time uh, to do that, Alice, and uh, so she really helped me through that process. My son, he also validated me as his his dad, and and so when he at five years old, you know, he he, he understood that what had changed and. Uh, and even though he didn't get the whole full mean the grasp, but he helped me understand that I was still his his father. So that was critical for John Jr. to do that. And you know now you know the life moves forward. I have a beautiful daughter Ashley Janae, and she's um, she's you know helping her do the things and, and go after the things that she wants to do. And, and she runs track and she plays some basketball too. But you know she's she's a lot smarter than her dad, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> And you know she's going to. I think she's going to graduate in Colorado Springs. It's Colorado Springs Early College. She's 15. She's going to get a degree, and I think she's going to have her associate's degree by the time she finishes high school, which just amazes me. Um, so um, you know, I think that's what keeps me inspired. I think it's it's the inspirational cycle um, that that does pay it forward. Um, inspiration, I believe, leads on to motivation. Causes people to act when somebody sees something, it inspires them. It causes them to act or change their perspective on something, and that that action causes a result. And the result is a couple things: it either re-inspires that vision, or it allows somebody else that's watching that vision to uh, to catch their own vision and create their own their own circles in, in life. And so that's what we all have to be. We all have to to move forward. It's not just one person. It's it's all of us knowing that we are those inspirational uh, people and we can we can challenge somebody else and you know kind of be in their face and and, and challenge them to, to greatness um, and then in, so that they can inspire somebody else therefore we inspire the world wow what a great message that is awesome and as you leave the show is there any other thing you'd like to leave with us john yeah you know i i, I think the, the the only thing i i would say is is that you know Keep with your, your, your families, whatever that family unit is. Um, keep believing in the things that you do believe in. And with this, with this, this country, this, despite all of our flaws and, and the things, it's still the greatest country in the world. And, Amen uh, to that, John. <laughs> Amen <laughs> to that. Listen, before we close, we end every show with a quote from a great leader that has helped change the world. And today this quote is, Every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember, you have within you the strength, the patience, and the passion to reach for the stars to change the world, said Harriet Tubman. Tubman. John, it was so great to have you as a guest today. Thank you. 
thank you very much. I'll leave them all my website contact information for you, you and your listeners on your, on your website. All right. And we will talk to you next week. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters. Talk to you soon. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.